Before I start this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who took the photograph which adorns the cover art. Let's crack on. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cobride. It's been a relatively quiet week this week, which, to be frank, I'm glad about, given other things which I've had on my plate. There's been an increase in the amount of sanctions activity, a decent range of money laundering news, and the usual bits and pieces to keep things interesting. I'll also round up the cyber attack news, so let's get on with it. As usual, I've linked to the main stories which I mentioned throughout the podcast in the description. We'll start with sanctions. This week's sanctions news demonstrates that just when you think things are quiet for good, the news starts to churn it out. There's an awful lot from the United Kingdom this week and some pretty significant news from the European Union. We'll start with the UK, where the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation has made four additions to the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Syria financial sanctions regimes. Given these changes, all the usual lists have been updated and links to everything can be found in the podcast description. In relation specifically to sanctions against Russia and its allies following the invasion of Ukraine, uh, General Licence, that's INT 2022-1947936, has been amended to update the definition of non-government-controlled Ukrainian territory to capture the Kherson and Japarita oblasts. Link to the updated licences can be found in the podcast description. In other news relating to Russia, following a UK Foreign and Commonwealth Office announcement this week that Russia should remain frozen until, or Russian assets <laughs> should remain frozen, frozen until Ukraine has been compensated. Legislation has been amended to facilitate this, as well as, quotes, extending existing finance, shipping and trade sanctions relating to non-government controlled Ukrainian territory, the Autonomous Republic of Crimea and the city of Sebastopol and non-government controlled areas of the Kherson and Zaporizhia oblasts in Ukraine. The statutory instrument which achieves this is provided in the podcast description. Finally, on sanctions news this week, the European Union has adopted its 11th package of sanctions against Russia. This package of sanctions aims to deal with, first, the issue of circumvention of EU sanctions through strengthened bilateral and multinational cooperation, Secondly, introduce a further prohibition of the transit, quote, via the territory of Russia of more goods and technology, which may contribute to Russia's military and technological enhancement or to the development of the defence or security sector. Thirdly, by adding a further 87 entities to the list of designated entities, there are other restrictions in the sanctions package relating to broadcasting propaganda and the limitation on activities of roads and ports. The press release, which contains other relevant links, is also in the podcast description. That's it for sanctions. A little bit of fraud news, and it's just one story. And it comes from the United Kingdom. His Majesty's Revenue and Customs has updated Code of Practice 9 where HMRC suspects fraud. That's Code of Practice 9. The link to the updated Code of Practice is in the podcast description. Now, there's been a decent bit of money laundering news this week. Uh, It's broad, I suppose, would be the best way to describe it. We'll start as we did 
or as we will do with, uh, as you'll see in a moment, anti-corruption with France, where it's been reported that prosecutors have announced an investigation into Binance, the cryptocurrency exchange, where allegations have been made concerning aggravated money laundering. This is the latest story to focus on the activity of Binance, which, as we reported in episode 58 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, is under investigation by the U.S. Department of Justice for alleged Russia-related sanctions breaches. The French investigation is ongoing. Sticking with France, the Financial Action Task Force, the FATF, ended its plenary in Paris on Friday of this week with a detailed statement on the jurisdictions under increased monitoring, the so-called Grey List. Added to the Grey List are Cameroon, Croatia and Vietnam. The link to the outcomes of the plenary is in the podcast description, although I will come back to the FATF plenary in a moment. In the European Union, the European Union Agency for Criminal Justice Corporation, also known as Eurojust, has just hosted its first expert meeting on money laundering and asset recovery. The meeting, which took place in The Hague, quotes, brought together dedicated prosecutors specialised in asset recovery and tackling money laundering from the European Union and countries with liaison prosecutors at Eurojust. The press release with key takeaways is in the podcast description. In other news from the institutions of the European Union, the Council of the European Union Anti-Money Laundering and Counter-Terrorist Financing Body, MoneyVal, has issued a warning about the need for member governments to strengthen their efforts to build and enhance frameworks for asset management and recovery. See how everything is beautifully linked together there. The link to that is also in the podcast description. To the UK now for our final couple of stories. First of all, Companies House in the United Kingdom has released information relating to how the organisation will use its enforcement powers against those who do not comply with the obligations imposed by the creation of the Register of Overseas Entities. Link to the guidance is in the podcast description. The final piece of money laundering news comes, as I said, from the United Kingdom, where Reuters has reported a number of unnamed sources indicating that the principal UK banks, I suppose the clearing banks plus a couple of others, are negotiating with the British government over the development of increased data sharing. As the Reuters report provides, more than half a dozen banks are in advanced talks with British law enforcement and government agencies on plans systematically to share intelligence on major financial crimes such as money laundering and terrorism financing in two landmark pilots expected to launch within months. Now that coordination and data sharing is something that's been trialled a lot, it's been trailed a lot rather, in news stories relating particularly to money laundering over the last few months, not only in the UK but also globally, and it's interesting to see something acting on that. So we'll keep our eyes on that and see what happens. That's it for money laundering. Now we'll look at bribery and corruption. This week's bribery and anti-corruption news is quite limited, but it's interesting at the same time. We'll start in France, where anti-corruption police have raided, conducted a raid on the headquarters of the Paris 2024 Olympic Games Organising Committee. The investigation concerns the embezzlement of public funds and the organising committee is cooperating fully with the investigation. The other story is from the UK and relates to the publication of a report by His Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary and Fire and Rescue Services into the ability of the National Crime Agency to protect its assets from corruption threats. This report, the first of two, examines how the National Crime Agency, quote, vets its officers, including candidates 
wishing to become officers, identifies and prevents potential corruption and how well it investigates corruption among its officers, and identifies and prevents improper behaviour by its officers, including gender-based prejudice. The report is available at the link in the podcast description. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I mentioned the FATF had just finished its plenary in Paris, ended on Friday of this week, as well as the focus on money laundering, as you might expect, it announced the progress of its work to combat corruption. As the plenary outcomes provide, the FATF's work makes a valuable contribution to the fight against corruption that complements the work of other international bodies in that area. The plenary adopted an internal tool to facilitate assessment of Recommendation 36, which requires countries to implement relevant articles of the United Nations Convention Against Corruption. To improve the consistency of these assessments across the global network, FATF members were also updated on the progress of ongoing work on the misuse of citizenship and residency by investment schemes, which will also make a valuable contribution to anti-corruption work. And you can see the outcomes, which I've already said, is in the podcast description. You can take a look at that. Now, a bit of regulatory and other news before we do a roundup of the cyber news for this week. So in the roundup of regulatory and other news, the Serious Fraud Office and the Financial Conduct Authority in the United Kingdom have agreed a memorandum of understanding which provides a framework for cooperation, coordination and information sharing. Link is in the podcast description. In other regulatory news, the Financial Conduct Authority has issued two consumer warning notices this week where first, fraudsters are using the details of the authorised EMD agent blockchain Access UK Limited in an attempt to deceive consumers into believing they're dealing with the authorised EMD agent. Secondly, the FCA has removed several trading names relating to Promethean Finance Limited from the Financial Services Register. As the notice provides, between March uh, 2022 and March 2023, Promethean registered several trading names which were listed on the Financial Services Register, but which they either did not own or control, the third parties, but which they did not uh, own or control. Uh, They did not either own or control. I promise to learn English better at some point. The third-party firms who owned or controlled these trading names were not authorised to carry out regulated activities. Promethean currently has permissions for debt counselling, debt adjusting and credit broking. Links to both warning notices can be found in the podcast description. Final bit of news this week is that law firm Raman Ravelli is holding a webinar to examine the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill which is currently in the House of Lords of the United Kingdom Parliament. You can go along to that. As far as I can see, it's free. It's on Monday, the 10th of July, 2023. And the link to the sign-up to this event is in the podcast description. Now, a roundup of this week's cyber news. The balance of the news is on the continuing impact of the MoveIt cyber attack, which we've been reporting for a couple of weeks now. But there's an interesting new attack, which is where we will start. So the European Investment Bank is reported to have been the victim of a cyber attack which was announced this week. It's believed that the cyber attack was orchestrated by Russian hacking groups aiming to target Western financial organizations because of the support offered by the West for the war in Ukraine. It was also announced this week that Microsoft services were down earlier this month due to a cyber attack in the form of a distributed denial of service attack. 
On the bright side, Microsoft has announced that no customer data has been compromised. Russian-backed hackers are also believed to be behind this attack, as well as the EIB one, as I said. In terms of ongoing cyber attacks, the fallout from the MoveIt cyber attack is still being felt, with further organizations announcing that they've been victims of the attack. In fact, if you look across the news feeds this week, a lot of the articles now are saying that more organizations than at first it was thought had been affected by that MoveIt cyber attack. Now in the US, the Louisiana Office of Motor Vehicles and the Oregon Driver and Motor Vehicle Services have revealed a significant data breach since it uses the MoveIt software in part of, its op of their operations, since they use the MoveIt uh, software in part of their operations. While in the UK, both PwC, PricewaterhouseCooper and Ernst & Young, EY, have announced that they have also been affected by the MoveIt cyber breach. Both organisations have indicated that the impact has been limited and that steps have been taken to lessen the impact on data they hold. And finally, on the ongoing cyber attack news front, students and staff at the University of Manchester have been threatened with the release of their data unless the university meets the demands of the hackers. The, hackers on the, the attack on the university is not believed to be linked to the move its cyber attack, but just about everything else is at the moment, so it seems. Finally, on cyber attack news this week, the National Cyber Security Centre in the United Kingdom has published a report highlighting the increased threat to the legal sector from cyber attacks. Law firms are an attractive target. Two reasons, really. First of all, they handle large sums of money, fairly routinely, large sums of money going through law firms. And secondly, they handle a huge volume, an incredible volume of sensitive data involved in much of the work that they do across the range of services that law firms typically offer. Anyway, it's so important, that little vignette from the National Cyber Security Centre, that you can find the link to the press release and the report in the podcast description. Well, that's it for this week's mercifully short episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being well, next Sunday with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a genuinely excellent